Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind a Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. Strange case. No sign of violence, yet she looks completely contorted in fear. Almost as if she'd been frightened to death. As if she'd seen something too horrible to live through. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. Welcome to a special episode of the Really Awful Movies Podcast, Top 10 Horror Movie Heroes. A quick heads up, we'll be in the UK, so we won't be uploading a new episode next week, but we'll be back and hopefully well-rested to bring you new shows June 22nd. Be sure and check out some of our other 250-plus episodes on iTunes and Blueberry and subscribe. We'll talk to you soon. In his seminal 1949 work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, American mythologist Joseph Campbell introduced the concept of the monomyth, otherwise known as the hero's journey. In doing so, Campbell defined the archetypal hero and posited that all heroic stories are based on the same mythological themes. According to Campbell, a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered, and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow men. In horror, we have a tendency to focus on the villain rather than the hero, the antagonist whom the hero must face in order to achieve his or her decisive victory. And yet horror films have featured many heroes who have encountered fabulous forces and supernatural wonder and have come back transformed from their mysterious adventures. What follows is a list of the ten greatest horror heroes. In order to be included, a hero has to actually survive the ordeal, at least long enough to see the sequel. Thus, perhaps the greatest hero of all, Dwayne Jones' Ben from Night of the Living Dead, must be excluded because of that film's shocking and tragic denouement. Furthermore, final girls are excluded since a hero has to be proactive rather than reactive. The ten that follows are characters that consciously escaped their common day and went in with metaphorical, and sometimes literal, guns ablazing to kick evil's ass and live to tell the tale. Number 10. Dr. Sam Loomis in Halloween Dr. Loomis is perhaps the unlikeliest of heroes a short, stocky, child psychologist pushing retirement age who had the misfortune of being assigned to treat the six-year-old boy who murdered his older sister one Halloween night, a boy who in Loomis's estimation embodied pure, unadulterated, evil. When grown up, Michael Myers escapes Smith's Grove Sanitarium to return to Haddonfield, Illinois, the place where he committed his initial crime. Dr. Loomis, played wonderfully and indelibly by Donald Pleasance, trails his charge, and attempts to warn the authorities and residents of Haddonfield that death has come to your little town. However, Dr. Loomis is more than just a balding version of Chicken Little. In addition to raising alarm, Loomis relentlessly and doggedly pursues the suicidal slasher, ultimately shooting Myers and saving the life of the killer's ultimate prey, 
is eventually revealed to be younger sister, Laurie Strode. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. Number nine, Lieutenant Ellen Ripley in Alien. Essentially a cosmic slasher film, the opening chapter of the long-running futuristic space saga introduced the world to Sigourney Weaver's formidable Ellen Ripley, the warrant officer of the Nostromo, the ship named after that famous epic by Joseph Conrad. Answering a possible distress signal, some of the crew investigate a downed and derelict spacecraft and return with a very unwelcome stowaway. When the alien emerges in the film's iconic chestburster scene, it quickly matures and stalks and then dispatches most of the crew. But not Ripley. She springs into action, accessing the ship's computer system mother, finding out that one among them is not whom he seems, and ultimately manages to blast the alien into outer space. In doing so, she prevents the homicidal extraterrestrial from making its way to Earth and saves herself and her pet cat Jones. Final report of the commercial starship Nostromo. Third officer reporting. The other members of the crew, Kane, Lambert, Parker, Brett, Ash, and Captain Dallas are dead. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. Number eight, Mike Pearson in Phantasm. It's hard being prepubescent. You're at that awkward stage when you're too old to be believed or suckered when you tell ghost stories, but too young to do many of the things needed to do if said story turns out to be true. That's the dilemma young Mike, played by A. Michael Baldwin, finds himself in in Don Coscarelli's Phantasm. To add to his woes, Mike's parents perish in, in an automobile accident, and he's being raised by his older brother Joey, who unfortunately seems to take more of an interest in playing guitar with his ice cream vendor best bud Reggie than in his younger sibling. So when Mike witnesses the nefarious tall man, the late great Angus Scrim, the town's local mortician, single-handedly hoisting the casket of Reggie and Jody's late friend Tommy into a hearse, his suspicions are confirmed that the mortician is not only up to no good, but is probably responsible for that death as well. Now all he has to do is convince others to believe him while pursuing the tall man, and putting himself in potential mortal peril in order to retrieve evidence which will ultimately convince Jody and Reggie that yes, the tall man is indeed real.
Number seven, nada in They Live. In the nod to Sergio Leone, the late rowdy Roddy Piper is a man with no name in John Carpenter's late 80s masterpiece They Live, although he is listed in the credits as nada, which is of course Spanish for nothing. Roddy Piper plays your true everyman, a migrant worker who stumbles into the conspiracy to end all conspiracies and then has to kick ass and chew bubblegum while suffering from, well, a dearth of bubblegum. Upon donning a pair of specks which reveal the world as it truly is, populated by gray-skinned, bulbous-eyed aliens who endeavor to keep society under control by propagating messages such as obey and no independent thought, Nada must take decisive action, including recruiting his friend Frank to the cause by besting him in one of the greatest fights in the history of cinema. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. <laughs> Number six, Nancy Thompson in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Nancy is no final girl. She's the protagonist, the hero, the one who takes it to the dream-invading, child-molesting, pepperoni-pizza-faced antagonist Freddy Krueger in Wes Craven's seminal slasher, A Nightmare on Elm Street. In fact, in a neat subversion of audience expectations, Nancy's alpha male, <coughs> sort of, football-playing boyfriend Glenn, Johnny Depp is one of the slightest high school footballers you'll ever see, is neutered and helpless against the fedora-wearing menace. It truly befalls upon Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp, to save the day. Also of little assistance are Nancy's estranged parents, her police lieutenant father and her alcoholic mother. It's no accident that before Nancy faces her final battle with Freddy, Craven shows her tucking her mother into bed as she's passed out in an alcoholic stupor. Resourceful Nancy booby traps her house and enters into the dream world to confront the killer, whom ironically was created by the very same parents of the children of Elm Street, who are now completely ineffectual in protecting their offspring, and bring him to the real world where he is vulnerable and powerless. Why you couldn't just give me a pill to keep me from dreaming? Everyone's got to dream, young lady. If you don't dream, you go. Okay, all set. No. Please, Nancy. Trust us. It's not you I don't trust. It's just. Okay. Let's do it. Number five, Jennifer Corvino in Phenomena. Gotta give a little love to the Italians in this list. Phenomena by Dario Argento is the beautiful, of course all earlier 
Argento films are, tale of a young girl played by a very, very young Jennifer Connelly, who is sent by her movie star father to study in Switzerland at the Richard Wagner Academy of Girls. Jennifer is no ordinary student, however. She's prone to bouts of sleepwalking and has the ability to telepathically commune with insects. When students from the academy are found murdered, Jennifer teams up with local entomologist John McGregor and his helper monkey Inga to uncover the culprit. What makes Jennifer heroic is her absolute agency and resilience in the face of every obstacle. She's mocked by her fellow students, and the authority figures at her school attempt to stymie her, but she remains headstrong and defiant. Even when McGregor, played by Donald Pleasance, is killed by the black-gloved culprit and she's well and truly alone, even when she's swimming in a pool infested with maggots and corpses, Jennifer never, ever appears helpless. This is one girl who can take care of herself and do whatever it takes to ensure that she's still standing. part of the country. It comes from the Alps. The blasts of warm air cause snow avalanches. While it blows, there are those who say it causes madness. Any idea why they behave like that? Never done this before. It's probably because of me. I guess they sense the mood I'm in. See, he's not afraid of you. He won't do that for me. Ask him to lead you where the dead bodies are hidden, and he'll lead you. That fly is your magic wand. It's perfectly normal for insects to be slightly telepathic. Yeah, it's normal for insects. But am I normal? Number four, Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Notice how many horror heroes are children or adolescents? Therein lies the reason for the genre's enduring appeal. By utilizing youngsters as the protagonist, filmmakers give the audience, which typically first experience horror films at the same age as the characters they're viewing up on the big screen, someone to not just root for, but also to relate to. And the archetypal child hero just may be Friday the 13th's young Tommy Jarvis. Most kids are afraid of monsters, but not Tommy. As played by Corey Feldman, Tommy is a full room of monster paraphernalia and delights in donning masks to scare his sister. When the ultimate monster, Jason Voorhees, threatens Tommy and his sister, the kid takes some decisive action. He shaves his head to resemble a young Jason and confronts the unstoppable killer head-on, literally, as he hacks at Jason repeatedly with the killer's own machete while yelling, Die! 
young Tommy courageously accomplished what no one in the series had thus far been able to do, decisively end the menace of the Crystal Lake Killer for good this time. At least it was supposed to be for good. You know how horror sequels are. chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry, you your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the car scroll? He simply, mindlessly, <laughs> mercilessly, Kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason's unlucky day. Number three, Kirsty Cotton in Hellraiser. For a genre that's so often accused of misogyny, it's interesting to note how many proactive horror heroes are female. Kirsty, played by Ashley Lawrence in Hellraiser, is remarkable. Like others here, she's resourceful and has dogged determination to vanquish the evil she encounters. Furthermore, Kirsty rises up as a hero when no one else around her can or will. Kirsty's family consists of her milk-toast father Larry, her ice queen stepmom Julia, and her despicable and lascivious uncle Frank, the real villain of the first Hellraiser. Frank had previously messed where he shouldn't and summoned forth the otherworldly sadist known as the Cenobites. Hiding in the Cotton family attic, Frank demands bodies in order to be made whole again, bodies which Julia is happy to provide. Discovering this, Kirsty has to face both Frank and the Cenobites, who are determined to take her back to their dimension. She had accidentally summoned them prior when escaping Frank and absconding with the Lament Configuration puzzle box. Kirsty bravely and single-handedly confronts the Sinister Order and banishes them back to whence they came. Happening. 
myself that. I used to try and pretend I was dreaming all the pain. But don't you kid yourself. Some things have to be endured. And that's what makes the pleasure so sweet. <coughs> Number two, Dr. Van Helsing in Horror of Dracula. For as long as there's a Count Dracula, there will always be a Van Helsing, an unwavering nemesis determined to send the Dark Prince back to hell. In fact, it can be argued that the hero that began this list, Dr. Sam Loomis, is a modern-day Van Helsing analog. Van Helsing as a vampire hunter appeared in Bram Stoker's original source novel, and many actors have brought the character to the screen, but none is more badass then, the best Van Helsing of them all, Peter Cushing opposite Christopher Lee's Count in Hammer Films' Horror of Dracula. Cushing played Van Helsing, or a descendant thereof, five times for Hammer Studios, and three of those outings were opposite Christopher Lee. But it's the duo's first go-round together where Cushing is most impressive. He plays Van Helsing like an action hero, and his final confrontation, where he chases Dracula throughout the castle, dodges a hurled candlestick, pushes off an attempted strangulation, and then leaps across two tables and onto a curtain to expose the Count to sunlight, is as exhilarating a final battle as you'll ever see. This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. Castle Dracula is summoned here in Klausenburg. Will you tell me how I get there? You ordered a meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil.
Number one, Ash in Evil Dead 2. Hail to the king, baby. Was there really any doubt who would top this list? The broomstick bearing, chainsaw handed, wisecracking rapscallion who continually finds himself in a whole heap of trouble and knee deep in deadites, but somehow always manages to get the upper hand on those ugly sons of bitches. The character of Ash evolved tremendously between the first and second Evil Dead movies, and it is in Evil Dead 2 where he coalesces into the kick-ass hero whom we all have grown to know and love. Really, in the first Evil Dead, Ash is a bit of a wimp. Who are you going to call when the deadites come a-knockin'? It certainly ain't the Ghostbusters. Ash is the man amongst men who is going to send those bastards back to hell, and he'll do it with style and a grab bag full of one-liners, baby. And at the end of the day, good guy, bad guy, doesn't matter. He's the man with the gun. Come get some. Be sure and check out the Really Awful Movies podcast every weekend, and thanks for listening.